We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Hello and welcome to The Interruption, the Global Institute for Tomorrow podcast. The theme for today's episode is on communication and just how important it is. I'm here with Chandra Naya, the CEO and founder of the Global Institute for Tomorrow, or GIFT. GIFT is a think tank that specializes in immersive leadership programs. And it goes without saying that communication has a preferential place in effective leadership. But this episode's title is The Art of Communication. Why an art, Chandra? I have no idea, actually. <laughs> and perhaps that's a, a good way to actually talk about communication. And perhaps the, the labeling of the importance of communication as an art has turned it into what is today recognized as good communication and bad communication. Right. So the art of communication is essentially it's what got most people thinking. Uh, Barack Obama is yeah. a good communicator because he's essentially finessed the art with the teleprompter. Ah, okay, there's the catch. So it's made it into an art form, which therefore then often attracts all the, the components of communication that are less about what's essential in communication, like speak the truth maybe, uh, think about, uh, talk about things you believe in, which is also communication, and then having a certain naturalness and authenticity rather than making into it into a performance art. So maybe that's the way to flip it around right, okay. and turn it around. You, you make something into a performance art and then you have all form and no substance. Mm, okay. All right, then, so what about substance then? Words are the, are the whole form of communication, right? So do they provide the substance? Well, first you have to have something to say, uh, something that is, uh, you believe in, and uh, perhaps just um, you know, labeling politicians as people who can't have anything, don't have much to say, uh, unless in, in a crisis, etc., it's perhaps uh, too narrow a place to go with this discussion. But first you have to have something to say. Uh, you have something you believe in. Then there is the, essentially the, the, the need to convey that message, uh, convince, maybe influence. And that's why we communicate, to, to convey an idea, uh, to impress upon people the importance of the idea. Uh, but if you don't do it with the ability to influence, convince, sway them, then you have lost it. So you can have a lot of substance, but then you have to have also the, whatever you want to call it, but the ability to inspire influence so that people want to listen. So how do you inspire and influence people? Well, I think you do that by having a few basics. Um, you certainly need to have the ability to project your voice. Mm. Uh, you have to draw attention to you, uh, be, but underpinned by substance. Uh, I call it you have to have a presence. Uh, you have to say something that attracts attention. And then there's all the other nuances of good communication, which is depending on the context in which. If yeah. it's a monologue, then you have to speak clearly. You have to use language that is attuned to your audience. You have to bring them in. It's no point speaking to an audience that doesn't have the same uh, vocabulary or subject matter understanding that you have, you have to break it down to something a bit more simple. 
then you have to do a whole host of other things, which is attract people with anecdotes, uh, uh, humor, but not bad humor. Yeah. And um, then if you're interacting with the audience, then you need to have the ability to have eye contact, uh, make people feel that they're the most important, even if there are 500 people in the audience that they, you, know, you make eye contact, yeah. you attract them to your, your humanity. Then you listen too, because there's questions, answers. But you can even listen to, uh, to an audience by just looking around without having a question answered and, and saying, is that, is what I've just said of interest or do I need to switch gear? And so being rich in your ability to be agile, confident, uh, is uh, essentially how you attract an audience. Right, okay. So that's a big checklist, you know, a lot of, a lot of really useful pointers there. But how much of that is natural? How much of that just comes to you naturally versus how long have you practiced that for in order to get to that perfect point of communication? I mean, certainly there's certain things that are sort of natural, that some people are a lot more confident uh, speaking in front of others. It depends on their circumstances, their surroundings, the environment which they're brought up in. But I would argue that a lot of this can be also learned uh, to reach a certain level. Clearly, there are different levels at which people communicate who are just, people are just flamboyant, natural speakers, mm. and they have content as well. So, you know, if you ever watch a, a video of uh, Fidel Castro, uh, I mean, flamboyant, had a lot of things to say, passionate, a lot of content. You might not agree with the content, but that was mm. content. Um, so some of the things you can teach people, and I've seen it with people, even those who come to our leadership programs, etc. Once they are told that they need to understand the importance of having a presence, they can change. Um, but people don't get this coaching. Um, then things like using the right uh, language to communicate. But a lot of it is just simply not being aware, never being told how to communicate. And people can go through life, sadly, uh, never understanding the importance of this. And we see, particularly in, in sort of more traditional, or I don't want to use a cliche term, but, but in Asian societies where, you know, standing out is not necessarily seen as a, a positive attribute. Mm -hmm. People downplay the ability to, to the, the desire to be seen, to be heard, etc. And the, the, the bad thing about that is then those who don't have anything to stay, say uh, take their place and we have kind of very distorted uh, discourse in public space, right. etc. Yeah. So part of GIFT's speciality is that, as I mentioned earlier, it, it specializes in immersive leadership programs, mm -hmm. which is what you head. So how do you go about actually teaching the participants of these programs how to communicate effectively? Well, it's a good question because that's why it's two weeks. Um, we could run a one uh, two-day course on communication, which is what a lot of people supposedly offer communication experts. But then you know you put people through um, what I would call a stage-managed uh, situations in which they practice certain things. Mm. Um, what the immersion program does in over two weeks is we have lots of sessions where people meet people for the first time including the, the group, and they have many discussions about topics they're not familiar with. That immediately forces them to think about the things that uh, we just talked about, how to engage, how to be inclusive, how to ask a hard question, how to beg to defer, all of those. 
and communication for different people means different things in terms of both their professional life and their private lives, etc. But then when we go out into the immersion side, uh, they're completely out of their comfort zone. And they're meeting people uh, who come from such a different range of experiences and in the context of a, pro a project which is essentially uh, rattling all their cages in terms of their preconceived ideas yeah. about certain situations. So they have to engage. And through that, we hopefully get people to understand. And we've seen this a lot of times where people say, I really now understand why I need to be able to step in and engage in that moment. I also understand why I don't have, uh, why my limited vocabulary limits me from speaking. I also understand why my cultural um, uh, biases limit me. So once you first need to have that awareness of why, why you, you're held back, the importance, and then you have to practice. I mean, two weeks you can't change, mm. but you make people acutely aware. Firstly, it's important. I mean, I often say if you can't communicate, you lose. You lose. And not lose in terms of, you know, winning a jackpot of money, but you lose in life because you miss so many ways to engage with people. Yeah. Uh, so you, you need to be aware of that. And then if you think this is important enough, either for your professional life, your personal life, then you start to work on it. I mean, and that comes back to the point you said, uh, I said, uh, you can work on it too, but you first need to understand. But, you know, let's be, let's be honest, a lot of people hide away from this because it's not emphasized. Yeah. They're ignored. And uh, our societies, in many ways, don't necessarily um, appreciate all those different levels yeah. of communication. So, but on these programs, you expose them to the importance of communication. You get the ball rolling, as it were. And one thing that I wanted to ask, actually, is that on these programs, you have a lot of nationalities. Mm. And some of the time, the communication isn't as simple as words, because it can't be, because of the language barriers. Yes. So how important is body language? Well, body, I mean, when you say language barriers, and it's important to understand that, you know, like in ASEAN, the language that sort of binds us, uh, ironically, is English, mm. it's a foreign language. Uh, so it's an interesting uh, sort of appreciation of the world we live in, that uh, a foreign language is the binding language, yeah. and that's probably could be said about the world. So English binds us, but all of us understand, have a different levels of comprehension and understanding of English, so we use different things. But what is also interesting is when a native English speaker who doesn't speak any other language, is in the midst of a group of people from, say, ASEAN, their assumption that everyone understands them is a failure of communication. And you see this all the time, particularly among native English speakers. So Australian comes to Malaysia or Indonesia, and his or her expectation is everyone will speak yeah. English, so they've already failed uh, to communicate. The, the ASEAN people speak different levels of English, actually understand each other much better because they've all understand the sort of nuances of how, what someone is trying to say because they have been trained, because it's a foreign language, to think much harder about what is actually said and kind of read between the lines. Now, you asked the question, therefore, about body language. Yeah. I mean, clearly, if you go to a foreign place and you can't even speak the language, 
well, your first passport to engaging them is to smile and just be very happy to see other people and not project any fear. So, you know, when people of different nationalities come together, I often say the, the smile is free. And then you can engage in so much with people without even understanding a word. You can use sign language. That's the extreme form of a communication gap being fulfilled. Yeah. Then you have where people do speak the same in English, but it's not their native language. And if you're trying to, struggling to find the words, etc., then body language becomes very important, which is, you know, are you being stiff? You know, are you showing nervousness? Are you resentful? Are you impatient? Uh, I was at an event two, a month ago. We had five of us, quite senior people, in a meeting, different nationalities. And there was a woman from, uh, from Greece who was trying to explain a complex thing. She took 10 minutes to explain it. And even without knowing it, a senior English person cut her off and said, can you just get to the point? Because he had no understanding of the communication struggle that this person was having. Yeah. In his context, speak English, get to the point, be articulate like me. That is not how the world operates. So one thing about communication is you have, to have a great deal of patience. But those who are not fluent in English are much more tolerant of that sort yeah, of situation. Yeah. And it's because you've been also in that situation at different times. So the body language is one of patience, encouragement, allowing that person to have confidence. So it's two ways. The audience and the person communicating have to display different body languages to create an outcome that everyone doesn't go away feeling what the hell was that yeah, about yeah. and actually understand something. Of course, okay. And a running theme that's been going through everything you said is talking and communicating with passion, right? And putting mm. energy into body language as well as in words. So how do you mediate a discussion which has become passionate, where mm -hmm. words often lose their meaning because they're full of energy and they don't communicate effectively? How do you control that kind of situation? Well. It depends. Uh, depends if you're, you know, if you're moderating a panel, mm. then of course there are rules. You set some rules. Uh, if you're moderating a meeting in an office, then you can set some rules. Uh, in fact, in offices, it quite often, it's essentially the reverse. It's the tyranny of silence because of authority, okay. right? So you have many articulate people, but they might all be silent because of the tyranny. But when you have, I think your question is, when there's a lot of um, people speaking at the same time or having arguments, yeah. etc., and are passionate, how do you essentially control that? Well, I think you have to have rules. Uh, so if you don't have rules, then people will, the, there's, the, there's what I call, in a particularly multicultural setting, there's what I call the tyranny of English. So those who can speak English right. hijack and they can be talking a lot of bullshit, but the non-native speakers will think they are essentially um, offering pearls of wisdom. So if you are moderating that, be it in a business setting, a social setting, or a, or a, or a, you know, uh, or a panel for a discussion, 
you have to set the rules. But your levels of empathy around communication should be attuned to not allow the tyranny of English to dictate that, right? So in I, I, my previous job as chairman of a large consulting firm, I would have meetings with a lot of our, our regional managers. And if, I'm not, if I don't set the rules and establish, uh, the native English speakers appear to be the smartest people in the office, you in, the, in the room. Even a successful consultancy. Oh, go to any multinational company. Right. Uh, the tyranny of English is underappreciated. And a lot of people get away simply because they can speak English. And in fact, a lot of people are unfairly judged in international organizations by their inability to hold an argument at the sort of intellectual level uh, that native English speakers might. So, oh, th this, is, this is widespread. Go to the UN. It's the same. Um, and go to any international organization. It's the same. So, so the communication bit is for those who are hosting, conducting those meetings, is to not let the tyranny of English dictate the outcomes yeah. and to give due respect to those who might speak differently and need a bit more time as well. So it's very unfair out there, but communication requires us to be aware of these things. And being passionate is good, but be also conscious that others might be struggling with uh, other things, but you know, don't ever uh, abdicate or get, don't ever lose your passion, yeah. but be sensitive. Okay, great. Well, I'm afraid that's actually all we have time for today. But thank you very much, Chandra. If you're interested in the future of sustainability, check out our content on the GIFT website. That's www.global-inst.com. We also have a Facebook page, so please send along your questions and we'll answer them in our Q&A section. Just search for The Interruption by Chandra Naya. We return you now to your regularly scheduled program.